Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males. hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscovered Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! everybody, and welcome to another episode of Horror Movie Night. This week, we are talking about a movie that Brian picked, which is Chud, cannibalistic, humanoid underground dwellers. But longtime listeners might know that there was a man who picked Chud back in our very first 20 episodes and then bailed on us like a true <laughs> motherfucker. And... We will talk about why he bailed on us on one of the Patreon bonus episodes. But in the meantime, he's joining us to talk about Chud. Finally, it took us six years. Jonathan London. Hey, hide your mothers because I'm coming in fucking. <laughs> oh, that's what he called me. He called me a mother. I don't know. I'm just playing that's, the character. All right, that's man. Not, that's not who you are. You don't have to be that person. I make mothers. I don't fuck them. I've got a production question for you right out the gate because, you know, I'm looking at this incredibly star-studded cast uh, as their names are popping up on the screen. And I saw a credit that, like, maybe the credit exists and I've just never noticed it before. But one of the people in this movie is credited with the title In Charge of Production. Yeah, and what's really funny is that you get a really, I mean, it kind of preps you for what is in store, but the opening of this movie is really boring. You're just watching basically (laughs) a a street sweeper for about like, it feels like 10 minutes while there's credits. I love that scene. Yeah, and and, and it's important because you find out who the character who died in the very opening scene is and how the evidence of her being there, a shoe in the street gets swept away and how you can even take it. And this is getting giving the movie maybe way too much credit, but you can have like the metaphor that this movie is about the disenfranchised who are swept away by society. But it's a really boring opening, and there is a massive title at the beginning that says "person in charge of production." And I, I remember watching this and turning to Heidi and being like, "That's just a producer." (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was thinking. I'm like, "What is?" So here's I about an hour into this movie. One of the notes that I said was that person didn't do his job. 
this ain't fucking Jaws. Show me more chuds. <laughs> like, there's not enough chuds in the movie Chud. They feel like I actually care about... It's like when you watch the prequels to Star Wars and they think that you actually care about the governmental bullshit the whole time. It's like, no, I just want to see lightsaber fights. And <laughs> yeah. Like, this movie does not really start working. Well, it never works, but this movie doesn't really start hitting the Matt Kelly, Jonathan London level of this is pretty badass uh, <laughs> until until there's like 30 minutes left to go. And that basically means you start seeing chuds. You, you know, there's there's gooey hands. There's a quick flash of a face of a chud here and there. But for the most part, this is, a like you said, a really boring movie that has a lot to do with like, who's in charge of the city and are they covering up and maybe there's governmental oversight and is the EPA, you know, corrupt and what is happening? And it's so effing boring. Well, that's the great thing about watching this movie is that you can finish the hour and a half movie in 35 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) One of the most telling things when I was doing research for this movie is obviously I always check Wikipedia look for some fun facts, look for stuff. And sometimes I just use it to try to follow what the fuck is going on. And in the Wikipedia, it has the following sentence. And then through a series of events, George and AJ team up. Yeah, I think events, just by definition, have to be eventful. And and they're just... There's so much talking in the first hour of this movie. And when you watch the movie, and I mean, you saw the, in researching it, the budget was $1.5 million, which in 1983-84 was not you know, a small chunk of change, but it's still an independent film. And then it made 4.1, 4.3 million, uh, at least domestically. And, and that's great. Like it really made back its budget a couple times over. And that's why you had a sequel. And you know, the movie had a couple of years to become a cult film. But I think this movie is in the late stage of like four walling, which means that this movie in the 70s, when you made a, a movie like this and you've covered a ton of these movies on your podcast, especially those 70s exploitation movies, you had to four wall them. Studios really had the control of the, the the movie theaters, which were now in these new things in the 70s called malls. And they meant that they had multi-screens and there were multiplexes. And there were still these old theaters that were remnants of the 50s and 60s where TV had just decimated them and they would take movies on one at a time. And you know this from talking to Lloyd Coffin and having a relationship with Lloyd, Matt, that he still four walls a lot of his movies. And there are people like Miguel who take on, you know, they run theaters and they have these cool screenings and those movies are all four walled. There's maybe one or two or three reels of those films in the, in the 80s or 90s and they have to tour with them. And this is definitely one of those movies that did not have a whole lot of reels, did not have a whole lot of budget. And you can tell because they're pretty much, I mean, if I felt like they were improving a lot of these scenes and there's a yeah. ton of dialogue that it is just filler for a lot. Yeah, no. And that makes it like at one point I wrote down that like Daniel Stern bounces between a good and bad performance at the drop of a sentence. Do you think that he got paid every time he said Bosch? Because he says that guy's last name. I don't know his first name, but I sure as fuck know his last name. He says that guy's last name so much. He's like, Bosh, Bosh. Yeah, and this movie is, I mean, we're looking back at it, you know, as of the recording in 2020. And this is a white ass film. Like, I just couldn't tell you. Like, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah. Like, if you're listing white people problems, uh, I think the white people problems would be minorities moving into neighborhoods. 
the shrinking of the middle class and chud like those are the top three white person problems <laughs> you know, like, like, and then maybe like i got my model girlfriend pregnant like that's it no, he was happy about that oh yeah never mind okay just those three shrinking middle class minorities moving into your neighborhood and chud i think those are big problems did they survive <laughs> the reagan era who knows maybe clinton solved them but all i know is once you got to the 90s chud was no longer a problem for white america <laughs> <laughs> Brian, I just realized we got seven and a half minutes into this recording, and I haven't even asked you why did you pick Chad? <laughs> because I just I'm sick of your shit. You know? <laughs> I'm just fucking sick of it. I'm sick of Brian picks the worst movies. I hate Brian's picks. We should kick him off the show, but I'm I don't know how to have a serious conversation with someone, and I don't like confrontation, so let's ride this out. And I said, you know what, Matt? Here's a movie I know you fucking love. Take it chud for a chud and i fucking threw it at you and i said this is my pick and it was okay uh i I was born in 1990 so anytime i see daniel stern and like a brick isn't hitting him in the face or he's not getting electrocuted it's just not here's like boo (laughs) i want to see your skeleton (laughs) i want you to search for curly's gold Yeah, I think the person who got lost in this movie, like Kim Grice, you can like argue still had like like she still pops up popped up a bit for a few more years. She was in like a Sinbad movie. She was in a couple films. Uh, Daniel Stern and John Hurd obviously went on to have careers. Christopher Curry is like the guy who plays Bosch, and his character's name is Captain Bosch. I you know in your defense, Scott, I don't think they ever said his first name. (laughs) Okay, good, (laughs) but. We don't care about this guy. He seems like he's like the, like, again, like a remnant of like a 70s actor who's like got a little bit of panache. You know, he still has a bit of like a name probably. And so they put him in this movie kind of as the lead to make it work. And like one of the big problems that I think is happening structurally with this movie is there's like three or four leads in the movie and you don't really know whose story it is. I was going to say there's too many fucking main characters that you're supposed to be caring about. (laughs) Like how many do you actually care about? I really, and honestly it might only just be because it's Daniel Stern, but like the Reverend is the only person that has like a compelling case. (laughs) Like he's like, Hey, I live in these sewers and there's some problems going on. Whereas like everyone else, it's just kind of like they're there. Like John heard getting pulled into this is like, it didn't need to be there. It's not an important storyline. He, and he takes up the most time. Like they want us to believe he's the star. I think when we're watching it, yeah, he does like the reluctant hero thing, but he doesn't do it in a very engaging way. Like reluctant hero would be like, you know, Luke Skywalker being like, I can't go on this adventure. I got to do my chores or, you know, Han Solo being like, sure, but I want you to pay me for it. Like Indiana Jones, like these are reluctant heroes uh, and they have a little bit of an attitude. John Hurd's just kind of like, he's just kind of there. He's one step away from like Jack Lennon, just trying to get a sale in Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Like he's just like rubbing his neck. And, oh, geez, I don't, I don't know if I really want to do this. Like, I really don't care about the chugs. <laughs> but then, so Scott, there's, there's one scene that I always remember when I watch this movie, which is the shower scene, the, the shower sequence with the blood squirting up. And while I was watching that, I wrote down the note that Scott needs to cover the music specifically from the shower scene, because it's like, 
it starts off with this just very beautiful like da 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 like shower music yeah shower music yeah you know shower music and then the blood sprays and it just goes straight grindcore out of nowhere <laughs> like it's just like da 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 <laughs> she, so she's gonna unclog the drain and she sticks like I think it's a, a she unbent like a wire hanger just yeah. to, to stick down the drain like was it a skinny chud like what did she poke <laughs> was it like was like, like like did the chud have his hand up the drain like yeah. how long was it like she really like rotor rooted a chud in the face and I don't understand how she created that much blood out of like poking a chud with a wire there are hanger two options John you don't watch enough horror movies apparently one you see later that the chud he made his head long or his neck long rather. I did, so I did they, see that, you know, it's the setup for getting its head cut off for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's the yeah. best part of the movie personally for me. Um, I just don't understand why the chud in the last five minutes can be Mr. Fantastic. I'm, I'm with it. And I like that you use Mr. Fantastic instead of plastic man or elongated man, but you went with Marvel because you know, you love Disney. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the other option for what she coat hangered in the bathroom in the shower is, um, that the Chud have been eating so many people that there are just chunks of human that are coming up from the sewer. That's what I took it as. That's yeah, what I'm Let's go with as. that. Let's go with that. And let's, and let's hope that now that she's pregnant, it's the only thing she coat hangers in that bathroom. Okay? <laughs> you know, I never oh, really thought nice. about that. <laughs> Come on. Here's something that is kind of weird to think about while we're talking about the shower sequence, which yes, audience, we're focusing on something that happened an hour and 15 minutes into the movie at the 13 minute mark, because there's nothing really to talk about in the first hour in this movie. The shower scene happens. She gets sprayed with blood cuts to the John Goodman cameo yeah. in the diner, super, super right? Creepy John Goodman cameo. Then it cuts back to her in the room getting dressed. Here's the thing that makes no fucking sense. If you watch this on VHS or on television, the John Goodman scene is a post credits moment. Hmm. So what? not only do they remove what is essentially the catalyst for the rest of that movie, because yeah. that's when they can't hide the chuds anymore. But also it means that there's this awkward jump cut of her getting a face full of blood and then just very calmly getting dressed inside of her bedroom immediately after that. You know, I ain't walking around with chud on me. I don't know what you're up to. <laughs> so here's the thing is that this goes perfectly with my double feature uh, and what did I watch and making it all about this. The reason why she's happy in that version of the movie after she's got the blood on her face is because it was the blood of virgins and Countess Dracula is actually, you know, my double feature and what did I watch this week? <laughs> one of the moments when i was watching this movie she gets in the shower and the thought that popped into my head was i wish i was watching killer clowns from outer space killer clowns from outer space is a better shower scene it shows me way more killer clowns than this is showing me chuds like chud could have taken a, a page from the killer clown notebook i mean obviously that came later but yeah. still they yeah. should have they should have thought about what they were doing because again like like john said once you start showing me the chuds i'm in i'm in you know, Daniel Stern walking down there and they're doing some weird, like, praying moment. Oh, they're praying the to Hexus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, just like crazy shit like that. Like, I would love that, I don't know, in the first hour, because the first hour you get me the telephone booth kill and then nothing. Y'all talked about John Goodman in that diner scene. The, the cop that's next to him is Jay Thomas, who you can argue had the second best career after Chud to John Goodman. Jay Thomas was in Ray Donovan. Like, he's still acting. He had a 
like nonstop career. He's in all the Santa Claus movies with Tim Allen. He just had a nonstop career on television, mainly since Chud. People love the John Goodman appearance, but he's sitting right next to Jay Thomas, who's uh, pretty much kicking ass as well. So that's a really weird scene. And to your point, Matt, the fact that the entire diner gets destroyed and is like the centerpiece for the police showing up and them wanting to gas the sewers, which is like the big plot point at the end of the movie and like the race to the finish. That can't be a, a post-credit scene. <laughs> <That's just dumb. laughs> it doesn't. It makes zero sense. Because I remember when I got this on DVD, I was like, why is this in the middle of the movie? Because I had only ever seen the VHS version. Mm. And, and I feel like the dialogue was like slightly different where like John Good, it's supposed to be like John Goodman and them are coming into the diner now that everything's been taken care of and the chuds still are dead and come back. But like, that's some like, hey, Carrie gave us a jump scare. So now every horror movie has to end with a jump scare bullshit that absolutely just damages whatever little bit of plot line they had going in this movie completely. Yeah, and the Chuds really like focus on that single diner. New York is a pretty populated place, especially like the pre-Rudy Giuliani, like nasty Frank Miller daredevil, like like Manhattan. That place has tons of people still, and it's pretty seedy. I wouldn't be surprised if that occurrence at the diner was happening in several of the places in the city concurrently, because... I'm thinking there were chud everywhere. I don't understand why they just focus on that one diner where the chud just like super hungry. And they're like, you know what? We're not going to be cannibalistic anymore. I want to go for a burger. <laughs> there are they plenty go of people to the that blood diner for the blood buffet. <laughs> it could have just been her cooking. You know what I mean? Like John Goodman says it. And maybe in that whole scene feels improvised where he's like, Hey, it was a pretty good cooking. And she's like, yeah, whatever. She says something to him. And I'm like, okay, this improv, you guys can have chuds kill you now. <laughs> Especially because yeah. it's a pre-made frozen burger that she just yeah. jumps on the <laughs> Yeah, you're a pretty the, good chef. What about the improvised like fight scene? Not even fight scene, but like where John Hurd and Daniel Stern are like falling over each other, like trying to escape the radiation and the gas at the bottom. And I'm like, they're like Keystone copsing into each other, like being like, oh my God, <laughs> there's radiation. And we're getting, oh, they grab the camera and all this stuff. And I'm just like, they had zero time to shoot this movie. No. Oh, for sure. They had zero time to do anything with this movie because the score for the most part just sounds like it's all like a Casio tone keyboard to the point that I kept waiting for Wesley Willis to tell me what cities he was going to rock <laughs> over. It's bad. Like, I, I'm pretty sure that they probably did their own costuming, which is the only way I can explain why John Hurd walks in wearing a blue button up shirt and blue jeans that match so much. I thought he had a pair of hospital scrubs on for a second. <laughs> <He did. laughs> I like, agree. Yeah. Like, you're making fun of the score, but Rolling Stone, I think, called it the 33rd best horror score out of 35. And uh, ever or just in 1983? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, th I think they. I think sometime in the 90, late 90s, they. Uh, I found it somewhere. I'm trying to refine the, uh, the factoid, but uh, it was in one of these little trivia's about the movie, and they said that this score was like one of the best scores uh, out of 35 horror movies. This ranked 33rd, and I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, but it just feels like a John Carpenter ripoff score. Yeah, like, everything it, in 1980 was this 81, right? 83. 83. 84 is when it was released. Okay. Yeah. Everything in 80, everything after 1976 sounds like fucking John Carpenter. Because he yeah. did totally. The Fog in 1980, right? Yeah. And The Fog, and is, then, I mean, in my opinion, The Fog is actually a superior soundtrack to Halloween, but Halloween has a better theme. 
Um, But like, I think I really feel like the Fog soundtrack kind of cemented his like celebrity status as a composer on top of a writer director. Yeah. And and if you're going to like look at 1984 and since we're talking about Carpenter, the one thing that I did think was like interesting, maybe the single most thing that I thought was interesting in the first hour of this movie was like, I remember watching this movie a couple years ago and then I watched it again the other night and I thought, wow, this really was the statement in, at the time with these hippies who went and made horror movies like John Carpenter, they were like, okay, we're going to make a statement on Reagan closing the, uh, the, you know, getting rid of all the social services and mm-hmm. making homeless people, putting homeless people all over the streets. And we're going to talk about like the post Vietnam vets coming back and not having jobs and being on the streets. And we're going to talk about, you know, the defunding of all these social programs and hospitals that put homeless people on the streets. And it's the same kind of setup that Carpenter used for they live, but we have it here and it's not nearly as well done as a statement, but it is or there. entertaining, you know? No. And then the whole like EPA thing, it just felt like mixed like messages on like the whole, okay, we're going to make uh, several statements with this movie. Cause that character, Wilson, who's like the bad guy, you find out that mm-hmm. he's in charge of the EPA and they've been dumping toxic radiation in the sewers for years. And you find out that Chud stands for something other than cannibalistic humanoid underdweller. Why would he give them that information? I was going to say, that's the most insane thing is when cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller is your cover up for what's actually. (laughs) But I will say this. William, like that Wilson guy who... I just kept thinking he was the 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 guy from Dennis the Menace who like kept being like Dennis and like got, got really bad. <laughs> like Isn't that, that dude um, won't quit. He's not very good at killing people, but he just won't quit. He's almost like Elmer Fudd like in the fact that like <laughs> he he pulls a gun on Bosch and is like I'm not gonna let you you know spoil my plans and and get away with it. And Bosch is gonna like go to the press and tell them that he's been you know corrupt and putting toxic waste down there. And he's like I'm not gonna let you do it. And then Bosch just like pimp slaps them and like runs away. <laughs> and then when he chases them, and then when you know they, they get the they get the car, which is like a mail truck, they get it off of the manhole so Daniel Stern and John Hurd can get out safely from the gas. He then tries to run them over with a mail truck, like multiple times, <laughs> and it doesn't work. And then Daniel Stern finally like shoots a couple times, hits him, and I'm like, okay, William, like Wilson's dead, the bad guy's done, and then the mail truck rolls onto the manhole and fucking explodes. (laughs) So, and I was thinking about this when I was watching it and maybe this is just like the screenwriter brain in me sometimes, but like any script writing class, I feel like Wilson needs to die via the chuds that he created. Like not just like shot and blowing up. (laughs) Yeah. Agreed. And it would cost less money to make it too. Then you don't, yeah, yeah, the explosion seemed ridiculous. I was like, that's excessive and a potential manufacturing <laughs> lawsuit. It's like, <laughs> like Daniel Stern shooting Will, Wilson had nothing to do with the car rolling five inches, hitting a manhole, and horribly exploding all over the street. <laughs> it just seemed excessive. But without that <laughs> shot, you don't get a dying Bosch twice saying, Nice shot. It's like they took two separate takes of his delivery of him laying in a gutter <laughs> dying, saying nice shot. And they used both of them. There is one line in this movie that made me genuinely laugh. And I feel like it had to have been written to be funny. But it's when they're having the meeting about releasing the gas in the sewers. And someone says to Wilson, 
you're going to blow up the whole damn city. And he goes, no, 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 just a very small portion. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I got questions because even though the chuds are evil and they are attacking homeless people and maybe turning homeless people into chuds, it seemed like the chud was like, I will spare a child. That makes no sense. Later on when the chud, when the little kid is like rolling a ball back and forth and the the chud Hulk hands itself into its uh, apartment. I mean, there are so many bad cheats in this movie. And to answer your question about why do we not see that many chuds or why are we seeing chuds sporadically? I think these trash costumes are just falling apart left and right. Like I don't, <laughs> I have no faith in these costumes, these foam latex costumes, like working at all. And you, so many of these gags are hand coming out of sewer drain or in this one, a hand burnt, like two hands. They literally look like gooey Hulk hands. Like that were like really popular 20 years ago, like bursting through this door I was just like, oh my God, this is so cheesy. At this point, you do not have to hide the full body chud unless production problems. At which point I go back to that guy with the huge production credit early in the movie and say, you were in charge of production and you wrecked your time. <laughs> you had one job. You had one major me fucking job chud. to which you credited yeah. yourself above everyone else. And you <laughs> couldn't even show us more chuds. You know, now you show me, you're explaining to me why I don't love Chud and Chud 2, Bud the Chud, because, like, the Chud aren't the focus, and they should be. Like, And Bud the Chud is literally just a zombie movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chud, I mean, you know what, though? Good episode. I, I will say that having someone who actually can talk intelligently about filmmaking is uh, <laughs> definitely d- changing the direction of, of talking about Chud versus us just being like, there were some gory scenes. All right, so... Double features, I guess. <laughs> I really thought I'd see that girl's titties. <laughs> so, 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 Matt, I got to tell you, though, like in the sense of, you know, Geekscape's mantra of don't hate, create. I, I got to give credit to filmmakers who like in the mid 80s they are shooting on film. They've got some real production costs going on. They're shooting in Manhattan, which has never been cheap. And they're shooting with a much bigger cast than I thought they needed. I think we all agree on that. Uh, they got it done. Not only did they get it done, they multiplied their budget in return and ended up with a little bit of a career. And, uh, you know, I got to give props to that because that is not easy. You know, Douglas Cheek went on to not really work too much. I mean, he's been working consistently as an editor for a long time, but he only has three directing credits. He he worked once more as a director, you know, in 2003. You know, as, as an editor, the dude is like, you know, he was still kind of working all through the 90s. And my my props go out to the people who made Chud. It is a really bad movie. It is a fairly boring movie. But <laughs> they got it done. And the coolest thing about Chud, because there's not a whole lot of cool stuff about the film itself, but the legacy of Chud as like a cult pop culture thing is actually pretty cool like it, it has had references in so many things since then honestly the simpsons the yeah. simpsons is the one i always remember because it's such a weird weird reference that is like who is that for but the guy who wrote that joke and like the handful of weirdos like us that would laugh at it yeah, and I, I gotta tell you like if you're grow, you know we grew up in the 80s and 90s and we were raised in a, a big sense by television and now kids are getting raised by YouTube and, and there are so many channels and, and the audience is so stratified that are we ever going to have common jokes again? The, the audience of Horror Movie Night 
what I love about them and why I think that they're the most potent audience that Geekscape has is because y'all are all focused on something that's pretty acute. And it is these horror films that many of us first connected with while we were being raised by television or watching it late at night. And I just don't think that you have that culture that much anymore. I don't know if the YouTube culture is going to be like, oh yeah, let's do shout outs to that TikTok from 20 years ago <laughs> or, or that or that YouTube celebrity from 20 years ago. Maybe viral videos have that kind of thing where you can throw back to it 20 years later. But ultimately, the people who were raised with this kind of television, you know, because this stuff went straight to television or home video stores which is why the posters were always better than the movies. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's kind of cool that people who were making stuff were throwing out Chud references, and there were a ton of them. I definitely went back to a document I'm working on for a project, and I was like, yeah, these characters, these like monsters here should be Chud-like. Like, they should at least have gl- yeah. glowing green eyes because they're just kind of cool. And if you have a cool yeah. monster, you don't necessarily need a good movie because you got the poster, and you'll sell it in Europe. Golan Globus is always like, the best example of this is that like, okay, let's make a bunch of footage, but let's make sure that the poster is really good because VHS is where we're dumping this to. And you kind of had that a little bit with Redbox and the whole thing with, uh, you know, Redbox and Asylum Films. And that was kind of like late 2000s. And it wasn't, it was not good. Those movies are terrible. (laughs) But I remember filmmaking friends of mine who were actually making credible, good films that went through the entire film festival circuit and, picked up a lot of awards then finding themselves with distributors who said okay we need to rename your movie and it has to start with either a number an a or a b because we need it to show up at the, uh, it needs to show up immediately when somebody starts the menu on Redbox or whatever streaming service was hot at the time eight ten years ago because it's alphabetically listed and I was like, oh, my God, that's cr- that's crazy. Because of the distribution model, there's going to be a glut of movies that start with either numbers or A and B. And if your movie starts with a C, people may not even scroll to it and see it unless it, ha- you know, unless it has a great poster or a star. It was it's insane. But like that's still the kind of thing way that this works. And and I think Chud was kind of that movie where it's like, let's let's improvise a bunch of stuff. Let's make it as fast as we can. And let's make sure we have a really cool poster. No, 100 percent. And let's before we dive into double features, anyone got some stray notes that they want to bring up? I mean, I didn't even touch my notes and I don't even care. (laughs) (laughs) I I do have to shout out Sam McMurray. Like Sam McMurray played the police officer in this. And you recognize him from like Raising Arizona. He's again, still works like a ton he was in the fosters you know sam mcmurray he was the he's like the young cop who is in the the station and you recognize him from a ton of movies he was in la story the adams family values like you you recognize him from the Adams family movies he's awesome meanwhile in new jersey so marissa what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode well jackie let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy Ooh, and representation of marginalized people Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil in horror we can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and oh, the practical effects. Um, and also the male gaze. My gaze at the males. hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. 
It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Now's a little segment on our show we call What's Your Double Feature? Where you tell us a movie that you would say would go well with this movie, like a fine cheese and wine combination. So what is the other movie that you would make someone watch after making them watch Chud? AKA, what did you make Heidi watch after you forced her to watch Chud? <laughs> well, uh, I think she was done. We went to sleep. But, uh, <laughs> but ultimately, the movie that I would segue her to, and I, I mean, this is going to be easy for all of the horror movie night fans. You got to go with they live. I think it's got similar themes. It's done a lot better. And it's definitely one of those, nobody believes me, but this is going on type of movies. And it has the same statements about like, uh, you know, the rise in homelessness post Vietnam and in the Reagan era. So I think that's kind of a cool movie and, and they live is a much, much, much better movie. Uh, so I was, I'd go with they live on that one. Okay. That, that's my okay. double feature for Chud. Yeah. I'm going to bounce off that. I had something similar. Uh, also, like you said, a much better movie than Chud. Uh, I would even argue one of the greatest movies ever made. And it involves characters running around. They're scampering around in a sewer because of something being dumped in the sewer, creating God a gen- it, genetically mutated thing. Uh, I'm talking about one of my favorite movies of all time, 1980s Alligator. Oh. <laughs> okay. That'd be cool. I thought you were going to say Ninja uh, Turtles, at which point yeah, I'd have been like, mine. Have been mine like, is TMNT2, sick of news. Yes. <laughs> Ninja Turtles versus Chud would have been awesome, but uh, the rules about the radiation, radiation would have been fairly inconsistent. The only other movie I was going to go with was Hobo with a Shotgun, which I think is like a fun, cool throwback cult movie. But I wanted to see a Hobo with a Shotgun versus Chud, where the hobos basically take it on themselves and are like, no one's going to solve this for us. We got to hunt the chud ourselves all right and brian how about you since you picked chud oh yeah i was supposed to go ahead of you matt but thank you for sorry, sorry. reminding me I, no. i'm sorry did i steal <laughs> did i steal alligator from you you did actually no um <laughs> oddly enough man my double feature is it's the same thing when you're like it's really hot outside and you jump in water and then your body goes into shock i feel like it would do this with your mind because they're they couldn't be more different but watching chud it kept reminding me of one of my favorite documentaries uh, called Dark Days. And it is about this guy in New York that follows these homeless people that live in the subway, like deep down in the subway, right under a building, they get electricity and there's like an entire homeless community. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's so a pretty good. good documentary. It's a yeah. really good documentary. Yeah, it's on. Uh, I think it's still on Prime, but check it out. I mean, it is nothing like Chuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> when I first moved to, I went to, when I went to grad school in New York. Uh, I started school in two thousand one, and Dark Days it was kind of making the rounds of documentary festivals and festivals. And, and I remember underneath the building I was at in Morningside, it was right there, like one twenty fifth and Broadway. Uh, it's where the school had their production studio underneath, and. You know, if you went into this studio in this building and it was co-owned by other places, there were all sorts of doors and tunnels that just kept going deeper and deeper. And we just kept daring each other to explore these things. At one point, we're going out, we're going through these tunnels for an hour and there was a giant abandoned pool 
that had porcelain tiles, everything in it. Or it was a pool. And it must have been a few stories underneath the city just sitting there. And the, a couple tunnels and you find it. And it was, still had water in it and everything. It was insane, the stuff that's underneath. But was the water chlorinated and, you know, like... You know, there's there's rumors that, that a lot of the early Manhattan Project stuff was happening at Columbia University there in Manhattan. And I don't know if that's why they called it Manhattan Project or not. You know, you start to think that like the, you, you hear that like the atom bomb and all this stuff was developed out in New Mexico, but I'm mm-hmm. sure it wasn't an exclusive thing. I'm sure scientists were everywhere doing it. So I definitely didn't want to hang around that pool of water too much. And <laughs> I mean, granted, I was a Chud fan still. So, uh, for, so, so, so my, my, my foremost fears were this. A, we're going to get caught by people who are down here, who security guards. B, I'm going to get locked down here, and that's going to really suck because uh, we propped a couple doors open to be there. Or three, I'm going to become a chud. Those are my three problems. <laughs> All right. So, John, the final segment of the show, uh, beyond when we let you promote what Geekscape is and everything it is, is a what do you recommend? Is there anything that you've seen recently that you just have to, you can't contain it, you need to tell the world, yo, check this shit out? You know, this is a movie that, that actually won the weekend, but it's not, I, I don't know. It, it, if you're a comic book fan, I actually liked the New Mutants film, which is really weird. But I really liked the New Mutants movie. I recommended it on Geekscape. It was surprising that I saw two new movies that weekend, but with Bill and Ted Face the Music and New Mutants, and I actually enjoyed New Mutants more. Uh, that was a shock to me because this is a movie that had a really rough history. It had reshoots. It was supposed to come out three years ago. It was a Fox movie. Then it was a Disney movie. And then it seemed to have gotten dumped. And then it had to premiere on drive-ins. So I kind of recommended. I kind of recommend that one, but. Uh, no, nah, just stay alive. And I want to see y'all all in person in 2021. That's really my biggest recommendation is stay healthy. Make sure you fucking vote next month. And let's see you all in 2021. I think those are some good advice. Uh, Brian. <laughs> I watched Mulan. <laughs> it had battles. And no, I, I did watch Mulan last night and I didn't pay for it. Uh, which was nice. Yeah, it was okay. I mean, I, I see what they were trying to do. I, I like transitions a little bit more. I think that's why I really enjoyed uh, Guy Ritchie's take on Aladdin, because like at the very least, you know, I could I could hum along to some tunes, which I wasn't able to do in Mulan. But I, I don't think it was a bad movie. I think there were some weird scenes. Like, I think that they should have kind of went strictly for one generation, if that makes sense. There's just like a lot of weird scenes where like, it's like an action movie, right? Like towards the end, like there's, there's battles and there's like an action movie, but like in like the first half hour, there's just some like jokes that seem to be geared for kids or like little bits that just like didn't fit. There's no greater seal of approval to a movie than I see what they're trying to do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do kind of two quick ones. One's a soft recommend and one is a hard recommend. The soft recommend is there's a documentary on Disney Plus called Howard. Uh, It's about the life of Howard Ashman, who wrote uh, the music for Little Shop of Horrors and then went on to write Little Mermaid's music and Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin. Very beautiful. And it's great hearing the story behind like how he created Little Shop of Horrors, like hearing how that became this off Broadway show where basically he was just hanging out with friends, watching a movie and saying, I'm going to make this a musical next. And then just went and it was like the biggest thing that he had touched up until then. 
Um, and then the big recommend is on Hulu is probably what I would argue is the best zombie movie I've seen in probably 15 years. Little Monsters. Little Monsters is so fucking fun. It is basically a New Zealand monster movie, but it's about a kindergarten teacher played by, I cannot rem- remember her name right now, but the star the of- Ethan uh, Young. Yes. So she plays this super cheery, bubbly kindergarten teacher. And one of the kids' uncles is a metal head from a failed heavy metal band who falls in love with her. So he's trying to pretend that he is like a good Christian, just like she is. And they go to a field trip to a petting zoo. And while they're there, the zombie outbreak happens. And it's not so much focusing on all the stuff that we're used to with zombie movies. Usually zombie movies are following the zombies and the government involvement and how like people turn crazy during it and all that stuff. But instead, it just follows her trying to protect these kids' innocence by pretending that it's all a giant game that they're supposed to be playing while they're on this field trip. And it has some laugh out loud loud moments. It has one moment that I won't spoil, but there is a heroic moment in the movie where I literally like screamed out loud. I was having so much fun with what was happening. <laughs> so that uh, I really highly recommend Little Monsters. I've been recommending that one to everybody the last couple of weeks. I have one more recommendation. If anybody likes Never Been Kissed, the whole basis of somebody too old trying to blend in with teenagers. If you go to TikTok and look up St. Mort Studios, uh, our co-host <laughs> Matt uh, just joined TikTok and is uh, talking with the kids. Uh, all right scott you're last (laughs) (laughs) megan and i watched palm springs oh so good it it was uh, really really fucking good um i laughed my balls off my only critique which is a very small critique i would have liked the ending to be a little bit ambiguous it wasn't it was very i thought the same thing i was like i'd be completely content if this like kind of left you wondering a little bit at literally the it goes dark and then it goes back to the light and if it would have just stopped at that that scene right there and nothing yeah. else if they got rid of the last two minutes or whatever it was there's something I, I was explaining it to someone there's something so appealing to me about like doing the groundhog's day movie that we've seen a million times but starting it like essentially on day like 500 where where the person's already just like over it and they're not trying to make a better situation anymore is such a compelling starting point for a story. That's like, I love the it. pandemic, Matt. <laughs> I, think, I think the quarantine has turned us into that character. <laughs> that is also accurate. But John, one last thing from you as we wrap it up, tell people about this insane, what, 15 year old beast that you've created at this point called Geekscape. Yeah, this thing. Oh man. I don't even know how to quantify Geekscape at this point, other than being incredibly grateful to people who uh, listen to the podcast. Um, First, the flagship podcast, which has given me so much over the last 15 years. I started it as a podcast. I moved to LA. I couldn't get arrested as a film director. I could do a couple of music videos and commercials, but I really couldn't maintain much of an audience. And when the internet and social media really started kicking in, uh, I started realizing that you could aggregate an audience but i came out of broadcasting when i grew up i wanted to be david letterman and i went to film uh school i went to school to to do broadcasting and film school was something i did later and so i always missed broadcasting and when podcasting started uh i got into it and 
it has just been so rewarding to do this for 15 years and to meet people like Matt who listened to the third episode I did of Geekscape and has just been such a rock ever since our friend Chris Fafalios, who hosts one of our shows, and I were talking about just how dependable Matt is and how important and crucial he is to Geekscape. And, you know, to add Brian and Scott, it truly feels like a family. And uh, when I think about it, I think about how it's completely started to open doors for whatever we want to do. If we want to create something like the Horror Movie Night pilot or a couple of the other projects, Geekscape's just a cool little farm where we can see if our audience is kind of hip to what we're putting down. And so there's all sorts of things that we're working on here that aren't necessarily podcasts. And I'm excited to share that with you all. But it's kind of just gone from a podcast to a podcast network to now our ability to do live streams or videos. And when this pandemic's over, my goal for 2020 was to do live events. That was something I wanted to do once a month here in Los Angeles, for sure at Comic-Con and have more community things. And I'm still determined to do that in 2021. So I'm going to say once more, please vote in November. But ultimately, Geekscape's what you all make of it. So if you're listening to this and you want to write for the site and share your ideas, it can be on anything. We definitely will keep the lights on for you uh, to share things. And uh, if it's a podcast or you just want our community to like listen to your music or see your art, I know Scott's used the uh, Horror Movie Night group that you should all be members of on Facebook. Like he's used it to promote his stuff. Brian has used it to basically make fun of Matt. Like whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to put out there. I just am so happy to have you y'all listening and a part of it, no matter what show you listen to on the network. But it, it was made for y'all. And it's just so cool. It's so rewarding, guys. I won't get choked up, but thank you all for being a part of it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Podfather. I'm going to give him a round of applause. Oh, hey, yeah. Alone on this. Okay, thank there you. we are. Uh, but yeah, so that was Chud from 1980. <laughs> <laughs> from 1984 is picked by brian we'll be back next week with another episode of horror movie night but if you want to know about how jonathan london just ducked out on us five years ago then you head over to patreon.com backslash hmn podcast and you can get the whole story from the horse's mouth all right bye guys listening to the Geekscape Network. Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. Um... And also the male gaze. My gaze at the males. hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app.
It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscovered Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 